Greetings from the land of smiles. Your boy Rocco here with the NeuroSpicy podcast. Yeah, babies. Pattaya, Thailand. It is adventure land for adults. Especially those that are local. 666-269.com Adults. <laughs> oh, I tell you. It's a very busy place. Oh, Lord. And it is coming up on about midnight here. And I was getting ready to turn in. And I was just thinking about y'all. Because that's what I do. I think about you. And... um like to follow up on some of the things that are going on and obviously check in. <sighs> the European heat wave is of pretty big concern now that I'm starting to see the temperatures being posted and so forth. Um, definitely probably is going to be fatal in some places. And this is going to be a huge wake-up call, I think, for some people, but not all people. People like West Virginia's Joe Manchin, who's worried about inflation. Just West Virginia millionaire politician who likes to shit all over the Democratic agenda under Joe Byron. Ding-dong, fuck my life. Um, yeah. Uh, these kind of folks are impenetrable <laughs> in the face of facts. Uh, I mean, it's their job to, to, to lie and to be corrupt. And so there's no, no way of getting around them uh, on these issues aside from getting a giant fucking magnifying glass and hovering it over them and giving them the cosmic ant treatment or as they said in the red dragon you are nothing but an ant in the afterbirth of an afterthought they're just horrible people honestly the fact that we've gone this far this long destroying mother nature <laughs> within my lifetime it's monumentally sort of phenomenal when you think about the sort of alien roach like effect that humans have had uh, in this last century or so onto this planet all in the name of progress yes and capitalism and free markets and fucking entrepreneurship and all that other horse shit. Um, so make as much fucking money as you can, motherfuckers. Because when you die, you can't take it with you. And so keep trying to fucking upload your consciousness into a fucking robot head or some bullshit. Or, you know, fucking freeze your head and get it reanimated later on in the fucking future go for it baby you can fucking afford that nonsense do it 
And I think you'll get everything you fucking desire. Yes, you elite son of a bitches in your fucking bunkers and $10 billion yachts and your fucking golden parachutes and shit and how you've managed to fuck every living one of us out of a sort of a future for uh, generations that are going to come after us. That price will have to be paid, sir. You don't realize it yet, but you will pay it. And you'll pay it in a way that it'll be beyond your wildest fucking imagination. Some of you will be cursed forever in the form of satire. Can you imagine? We're still shooting the shit about, you know, some of those fools that Shakespeare lambasted and their flaws and horribleness echoes through eternity through the bard, through the art, through the casting of the spell of satire. And I can tell you right now, there's a handful of these motherfuckers that are floating around right now that'll be fucking roasted and toasted far into the future as cautionary tales of being really filthy, disgusting, foul, vile, evil, selfish, mammonite, fucking-worshipping, human, reptilian, devil-dog, scumbag motherfuckers. It'll be fantastic. That's why they get so upset <laughs> when people bust their balls, because they know. They know that they lie for a living. That their dog-eat-dog -dog world is a construct within their own sort of self-delusions of grandeur. If our behavior is 95% primate, then it's not necessarily dog-eat-dog. -dog. Primates do cooperate with each other, sometimes within troops and sometimes across troop lines, depending on primate species. Now, granted, humans should be all one species, right? But let's face it, we are still dealing with evolutionary biology and some hardwiring that has been carried over from a very long time ago and has not sort of updated its coding just because you give it a fucking smartphone. <laughs> it doesn't mean that fucking chimp is going to be any smarter. In fact, he's going to be dumber than shit. At least chimps have a good fucking memory. <laughs> they still got it because they don't have fucking smartphones. <sighs> tell you it's like a, a front row seat to the end times of the new times of the beginning times of the end times of the beginning times of the omega times of the alpha time of the old times of the so times end of times sign of times Woo! prince was a bad motherfucker yeah baby ah <sighs> find myself kind of riding around on on the motor scooter just vibing it just feels good 
It's one of the best forms of meditation in the sense that you're so in the moment and uh, as long as I sort of respect the exposure to <laughs> the street fighting face-to-face, <laughs> hand-to-hand, bike-to-bike, car-to-bumper-to-bus combat zone that uh, some of these things are, then uh, I think I'll probably be all right. Uh, I'm going to swap that out tomorrow as I move over to the other side of the hill and uh, get back into the swing of uh, things, gym-wise, nutrition-wise, supplemental-wise, because I'll be settled in for a week or so there and things are starting to get kind of routine with um, my day-to-day stuff, so that's nice. Um, I had a nice dinner tonight at Marcel's uh, Mama's Kitchen, which is at the end of uh, Soy 6, which is a notorious grinder, punter um, street. But uh, the fact that Marcel is still there um, is excellent after you know, the long hiatus of two years. And so, I mean, obviously he's not not raking it in. I mean, I think he's always had sort of an expensive spot there. Oh, he's almost on the corner anyway. But he's just got a nice place. It's very, you know, sort of European, kind of, you know, high, um, what do you call it, hybrid style with, you know, a few Thai dishes, but mostly it's pizza and pasta couple of salads, nice little bar, um, you know, there's different retired soldier and cop hats and fireman hats and so forth, you know, it's a European working class bar, I think, of some kind, and Marcel is, does all the cooking and his gals there, um, I can't recall if that's the same gal or not, but I do recall him. And so we got to talking afterwards, and I said, hey, I'm glad you're still here. I mean, it's been two years since I've been back, you know. And uh, one of the things I always look for in Asia is consistency, especially in food quality. It's one of the reasons why, you know, I, I always go end up back in Copenhagen, and I always end up back at, uh, you know, A's Cafe or A's Fine Dining because... It's consistent. I mean, it's it, it has not changed in quality um, in the last, whatever, 15 years that I've been coming here. That's important to me because so many things are always in flux here in Asia. Uh, you know, construction, obviously, pandemic shit, you know. I mean, it's also in flux at home, per se, but we, we sort of take consistency and quality for granted. And I would say that we're dropping the ball at home anyway. Um, you know, we have so much homogenized sort of like food that's prepared in restaurants and takeout services and stuff. And it's just, it's just not great, you know, but here there's a handful of places that I frequent. And, you know, my rule is if, if I go back, it's fucking good. I mean, it's just excellent. I mean, that's, that's how it is. You know, I mean, I'll try a lot of places. I'll try new things all the time. You know, another day, another cafe is the hashtag different coffee shops, different restaurants. But if I find a place that's got exceptional service, 
good quality of food, you know, good staff. I mean, you know, it's a confluence of an, of uh, benchmarks, so to speak. And so if they all jive and I feel good there and I feel welcomed there and comfortable there, I will go back, you know, excessively. Uh, I'm a creature of habit in that sense, you know, where you sort of use that neurodivergent hyperfixation of like, okay, that's probably another reason why I, I like the consistency of, of the food quality. Now, granted, menus do change and things do get updated and so forth. I don't have a problem with that. But the basics um, as far as food quality that's possible here is amazing. And there's, again, a handful of places in, uh, where I sort of travel frequently that um, I'm happy to see are still operating, you know, after a, a two-year, you know, pandemic starvation gap. Uh, unfortunately, I know some places have also closed. So um, when I saw that Marcel's was still open, or Mama's Cafe, I should say, and that Marcel was still there, I mean, that's, that's like, you know, a victory. It's a victory lap. And I said to him, I said, I hope more people will come back, you know, um, he said, yeah, I stayed open the whole time, you know, so bless his heart. And again, you know, to my other friends and, uh, down south and places like that, you know, I heard from um, the other mama and uh, Trong at the, at the um, 1925 cafe. So it's like amazing to think that these places are still around, so. We'll have to check them out for sure. And, and again, you can see the photos on Instagram or the videos on YouTube if you want to get in a little bit deeper on the dive for the experience, for the armchair traveler. I know a lot of you guys can't do it um, as easily um, as I can. Um, you could if you're willing to, to gamble and risk um, a lot. And so... I would encourage that always because it, 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 it always ends up working out and paying for itself in more ways than one. Uh, just when you think you're at the end of total ruin, you know, because of COVID or job loss or whatever else, uh, yeah, other opportunities seem to create or present themselves. And, and you've got to be willing to jump out that window when it opens, when the door closes. But the window's open. Okay, fuck it. I'll jump out the window. <laughs> I think of... <laughs> I'm laughing because there was this kid that was... Uh, I can't remember what, what base he was at. I want to say maybe Fort Dix, but I, I don't, don't quote me on this one. So this prick, <laughs> he was always... He was always running out of his duty station, uh, and and so he got where he was actually jumping out the window, um, and so they would get a series of you know different sergeants or whatever else to kind of you know watch and block him, and they had one guy you know fucking basically fucking choke slam him back down, and so I don't know exactly what the what the if it was a gag. Or if this is what his thing was, I mean, this is like somebody you'd see in a movie with a, you know, like, or like a TV series like MASH, you know, like Klinger dressing up in a, in a you know, trying to get a Section 8 or something. Maybe this kid is like trying to get out of the military. I need to find the source of it, but... <laughs>
You could just see him edging to, you know, get out and jump out of this fucking window. I mean, it's all on the first floor, so I guess he does a pitch and roll, and he takes off running, you know. So, I mean, it's it, <laughs> it reminds me of, like, you know, being in the study hall, and, you know, the teacher walks out, and so you bail out. You know, you can't go out the front door because they're, you know, having a smoke or whatever else on the door. So you jump out the fucking window. If you're lucky, they don't notice that you left, right? So it's, it's like one of those gags. And and I know maybe for younger folks you can't imagine uh, such behavior, but you you got to think about it. It's also a good technique considering now that they're fucking going to your school and trying to shoot your fucking ass up. If you're not watching to see how to get the fuck out of that room, you're not very bright. Um, and that's not your fault. That's our fault because we've dumbed the fucking shit down as much as we could by allowing these fucking screwheads to fucking run roughshod over what was a fucking fantastic fucking country. Um or nation, I should say, or or area, continent. Uh, let's let's back it up. I don't even want to say country because you know we didn't cross the border. The border crossed us. Well, you you gotta have borders, you know. You gotta have all this, you know. If you can't just let people, you know, just go wherever they want, you know, fuck, you know, they're a commodity. They're they're our wage slaves, you know, it's our workforce, it's, you know, we're gonna, fuck, they're not even having babies anymore, we gotta get them to fucking make some rape babies for us so we can have more fucking, you know, losers or workers so we can, you know, continue to fucking build our space dick rockets and all this other harsh shit, whatever the fuck it is they want, I don't know what the fuck these people are thinking, but you have to understand that at one time on this continent, uh, First Nations people, indigenous people, uh, they roamed as fucking free as the goddamn fucking buffalo. And granted, there was, you know, some territories and there was some rivalries and, and so forth. But I want to believe that as expansive as the continent is, that somehow the uh, First Nations people managed to be pretty good shepherds of the land. Considering, you know, how bountiful it was when we began to fucking colonize the shit out of it and go through Western expansionism and basically commit genocide on the natives that were here on this continent and in Central and South America, of course. I mean, fuck. The Spanish alone, and just through fucking venereal disease and everything else, you know, wiped out like whatever... 17 million people over a period of time. So nobody, nobody's getting out of here scot-free. You do your 23 and me, you check your genetic lineage, trust me, it's part of human history, conquest. Not saying it's right. Not saying that it's justified. I'm just saying that's what it is. Same thing with a lot of the other sort of intergenerational traumas that we're trying to recover from, or at least try to deal with. You think about the forced migration of slavery, causing a diaspora 
of Africans in this part of the world. Not the part of the world I'm in currently, but I mean in the Americas. It's a, it's a tragedy beyond compulsion of understanding. Especially for those of us that don't have the same blood quantum or same melatonin levels as our brothers and sisters of color. Whatever that beautiful fucking rainbow may be. Even you, honky. Even you, cracker. <laughs> Even you, whitey. You fucking white one-eyed devil, little Charlie. <laughs> I got it too, you know. As my uncle said, uh, on that side of the family, you know, they're not hillbillies. They prefer to be called Ozark Americans. And so, you know, I got one foot in Missouri and one foot in fucking Mexico. You tell me how in the fuck I ended up with an Italian nickname looking like a goddamn Samoan who acts like a fucking Jew. I don't know. <laughs> That's what the fuck happened. So, anyway, I digress as always. I, uh, just don't understand how we can still hold on to these antiquated ideas that allow for cruelty and harshness and banality against other humans. When people say that they're they're having a hard time with human interactions, I, I don't blame them. <laughs> I'd rather be a fucking raccoon at this point, especially in America. I mean, it's just fucking bonkers, you know. At least here, I'm sure I'm a walking ATM uh, for the most part, but in generally speaking, I have some pretty decent uh, friends here and. If you sort of understand and try to acclimate yourself into the culture, you can avoid some of the the pitfalls of being a foreigner or a walking ATM. And a lot of that has to do with minding your own fucking business. <laughs> and staying the fuck out of, you know girly bars and all that horse shit, you know what I mean? I mean, it's it's so illusionary, and I don't understand why sometimes the foreigners feel angry or fucked over or whatever else because they meet some girl in a club or a bar and they, whatever, do the deal, and, you know, later on something happens and then they get pissed off. And I'm like, well, you kind of knew what you were getting into, and if you didn't, that's kind of still kind of on you anyway and so for myself um, I try to just try to stay on the, the straight and narrow as much as I can considering you know what a weirdo I am
So it's life in the slow lane, and I don't mind. I just wish the war on women wouldn't be so unkind. And a lot of it has to do with the nodes and the tubes that I sort of monitor online. And so I get a lot of, you know, echo chamber feedback about problems that females are having. And it's of interest to me because I know that I've been the problem, of course, to my significant former. And so for a lot of ways, it's trying to understand so I can be somewhat better, kinder, and more honest, and just a better man, because it is all men, myself included. Um, the biggest consensus, of course, is um, having a man that you don't have to sort of treat as a child or redirect, who takes responsibility, you know, for their share of whatever it is. And for years, you know, I just took that for granted because I had a traditional partner that took care of everything, and so I just earned the money and just threw the money at the, at the, at the equation and just said, well, just take the money, you know, thinking that was the justification for the exchange of sort of the dual labor and also not having, having them work, you know. It's like, you don't really need to work. I can support both of us if you take care of the house and so on. And I thought that was a pretty good exchange, but, you know, times get tough and you go back to America and it's really hard to sort of only work um, single and uh, sort of get along or get ahead or try to do something. Um, so it's um, it's just a kind of a selfish mess on my part <laughs> for the most for the most of it. And again, I'm trying to understand uh, a bit better what it means to be a, a, a better man or a better partner or a better husband is important to me. Um, and I think that is an adventure that will be, like many other things, it will be a life, a lifelong, a lifelong learning process. I'm a little bit disappointed because I think it just skipped here because it shut down. So uh, I'm not sure if you got that last point or not, which was the desire to be a better man, to be a better partner, to be a better husband, to be a better lover, all those things. Um, better friend. So the last thing I need to do is... <laughs> get involved with any other situation right now aside from what I got on slow cook or slow boil as it is and uh, just kind of concentrate on weight loss while I'm here and so we need to start getting a lot more serious about that otherwise uh, we've wasted yet another opportunity and we don't want to do that.
it's just not good. As lucky as I am, you know, how, how much luckier am I going to be in this lifetime, in this part of the multiverse? So we got to grab it, grab it with both hands, Depeche Mode, because everything counts in large amounts. <laughs> oh, shit balls. <laughs> I love you guys. I really do. <laughs> it's just... It really makes a difference to know that there's a handful of other like-minded weirdos out there that somehow find some sort of solace or connection in this. And that's why I always get to the end and get very sentimental uh, in the fact that I want you to also be true to yourself and to honor yourself, and to appreciate yourself, and don't take things for granted. It's so precious. Life is so precious. There was the story that I was reacting to today that the rabbi was telling about the uh, forensic psychologist that worked uh, San Francisco PD, used to work all the jumpers uh, at Golden Gate Bridge. And... Obviously, you cannot interview the person after they're gone, so you have to sort of, you know, trace their steps back and try to find out, you know, uh, was this actually suicide or, you know, eliminate the aspect of foul play, of course. And so this guy, you know, this is his job for 20, 25 years, and after a while, of course, you become numb to the process, you know. It's the usual things in that you find suicide notes and, um, you know, things in the background that would indicate why the person was suicidal and so on. But in this one particular case, he said that uh, it really shook him to the core. Of course, the rabbi looks fantastic with his big fucking beard and his fedora, you know, and he's telling the story, right? You know, if you've ever seen an Orthodox rabbi, they're pretty good at this. That's what their job is, you know. Anyway, so the forensic uh, investigator, he's got this case, the guy jumps, doesn't survive, so they start going through the background, and they finally, you know, trace the steps to figure out where the guy lives. Okay, no big deal, it's usual stuff. You get there, there's a suicide note on a dresser, okay, also not a big deal, he's lots of notes on dressers over the years, but this particular note had something different in it. And essentially it said, I'm walking to the bridge now. If someone, anyone says hello to me, I'll turn around and come back home. So the, the way it makes this profound is that we sometimes don't understand or realize our effect on others. Whether this is a simulation or a matrix or an altered reality or a multiverse, none of that shit makes a difference in this case, aside from connection to another human being. Energy to energy, person to person. And you never know what that effect is. Just like teaching. That's why I love teaching. I never know what the end product will be. And sometimes students will come back to me, you know, 
15, 20 years later and reveal, you know, what's happened in their life. And I remember that experience for myself uh, with my teachers that even though they probably thought, geez, what the fuck's wrong with this guy? Um, how profound that experience is with them. And so for us, those of us that are here, which makes me feel like there really is only a handful of people here. Really. <laughs> it's kind of scary when you think about it. The fact that we try to connect with each other freely and openly just by being civil, by saying hello, asking people how they are today. It's one of the things I love about Thailand is everybody greets each other, you know, with a Y and not a W-H-Y, but a W-A-I-Y's where, you know, you collapse your hands together and you kind of bow your head and, you know, swadikap and swadikap and it's uh, kind of feels like a namaste kind of situation, but it's an acknowledgement and even though I know sometimes foreigners get tired of the, this kind of habit, it's one of the things I love about Asia, whether it's Japan or even China has certain sort of protocols for meeting and greeting. But in Thailand, it's really there. And you'll see people give kind of superficial wise, like one-handed, you know, because they're carrying something and so on, but usually they're foreigners. But between the locals themselves, they take it very serious. And, of course, there's different degrees of how far down you bend or where your hands are. There's a lot of high context, subtlety, clues that can be included in your why, obviously. And so I always try to uh, reciprocate in like kind. And I do try to say hello to people. I sort of feel bad when... Um, People are sort of dehumanized, um, even though it's a high tourist area. And, of course, you know, there's touts asking for things like that. You know, I still try to be somewhat polite. You never know what that connection is. And that's really the story about this, the thing that the rabbi is trying to relate to is we don't know sometimes what connection we make for somebody if it makes a difference. But we always should try just in case. You know. My uncle, Mr. Ozark American, right? <laughs> he used to give a motivational speech when he was with the airlines. And it's a story about, you know, all the starfish on the beach washed up after a storm. And there's this little boy out there, you know, picking up a starfish and chucking them back out in the water, you know. But there's like thousands on the beach, you know. And so some jaded old fucker is like, you know, what the fuck are you doing that for? It's not going to do any good. And, you know, it's not going to make any difference. And the kid's like, well, it'll make a difference to the one that I do it to. I throw in the water, right? You know, the wisdom of babes, right? And that's true. Maybe we can't change the world. Maybe that's, that, that's not up to us. 
obviously it must be the case because look at how much the world is fucked up i mean are we that fucked up that's the reflection of it no it's because there's a confluence of other forces greater than us at this moment but if we continue to make our connections perhaps we can have some sort of impact and that's why the connections are important so it does make a difference to that one so when people reach out to me you know halfway across the world now and you know say hey i think you're cool um here's my number or here's my my dm or whatever else like that and it's just a connection it's not about wanting anything or you know trying to sell anything it's just about saying i see you <laughs> and i think you're all right i like what you're doing so keep doing it and there's nothing wrong with that kind of support we know that of obviously uh, men we have a tendency to bond emotionally with other men much easier than we do with women for whatever bi biological reasons i don't know i can't i haven't really looked into it i just heard this the other day and it's sort of percolating in my mind and of course we're attracted to women sexually and so there's there's a different dichotomy in play there as opposed to women who you know bond to you emotionally and are attracted to you sexually so for them it's a you know there isn't a quite of a, a division there and i think a lot of women in relationships are very lonely because of the fact that their partner, their boyfriend, man, husband, Laura, has not bonded with them emotionally. Because as men, it's not something that we, we sort of develop in a way that's effective. Uh, I, I suspect, suspect it's getting better now for some, for some young men in situations because people communicate more about it and of course they get teased as being soy boys and whatever else and, you know and I, I get it they seem kind of soft <laughs> and way too emotional but you know uh, part of being neurodivergent or neurospicy is the fact that we do tend to wear emotions on the sleeves and so for me that's probably why I have the ability to maybe bond emotionally with um, a lot of people. People always say, well, you have a, a way of making others feel relaxed because you're down to earth, which always makes me feel like I'm dirt. <laughs> what am I, dirt? Down to earth? But it's actually a good thing, right? And so, uh, it, you know, it's got its positive and negatives. If I meet the right kind of people, then it's it's great. If I meet the wrong kind of people, it's fucked, you know, because they chew me up and, you know, put me through the grinder. And so lesson learned, right? I mean, you know, what happened to me recently was, you know, pretty fucking horrifying. Um, I just, I don't even know even how to totally process that. Mostly because of the fact that, again, it's, you know... I knew better. <laughs> I knew better, and I fucking went against my instincts anyway for whatever fucked up reason. And so, you know, I got what I deserve. That, that, maybe that's what it is, I guess, in that sense. So sometimes we do have to be somewhat careful in those connections, but lesson learned, right? No harm, no foul. Um, wait another 20 years and see. <laughs>
<laughs> I just uh, have to keep learning and try to keep connecting. And I want the same for you. So don't don't be afraid to make an effort. And um, if you do it with open arms and open hearts and believe that, you know, love is something that is infinite, then, you know, the well will not run dry. And so you have to give freely of that. It's a hard thing to do, especially for folks like myself um, who have a series of... of uh, interrelational traumas over the years that have sort of have scarred maybe that ability but it's all the more reason why we should so again going back to moving outside of my comfort zone trying to get out of the lobster shell here so I can molt and get a little bit bigger somehow is important in this personal hierarchy and I hope the shame for you and we can do it together. Let me know if I can help you somehow. Um, whether it's just talking to you directly or giving you some information that might help you or, you know, giving you some hype or supporting you or even having a conversation that allows you to, you know, either express yourself uh, freely and openly without any sort of judgment or condemnation of just having a nice sort of shoulder to cry on. I mean, I do it this way, right? <laughs> and this way is not for everybody. Um, and that's okay. You know, what works for me may not work for you. And so maybe it's another sort of communication that you require in order to be satisfied with the path that you've chosen for yourself. As long as you are on the path that I can deal with. All right. Let's call it night, night. Night, night. Sleep tight. Don't let them bed bugs bite. Love you, babies. Take care. <laughs>